morning, everyone. Grace and peace. Good to see everybody today. Looking forward to our uh, Bible study uh, this morning. Hope everybody's wide awake. Uh, looking forward to our time together for sure. I want to ask you a question before we pray through our psalm. Because um, it's really a question that the book of Revelation is constantly asking. When you face adversity, like adversity can come in many different forms. Adversity could come from coworkers, from your boss. Adversity could come from your family that they are not expectate they don't they don't perceive expectations being met, and so there's adversity from family. Uh, there's adversity from the government, right? You know, especially as we are moving uh, toward or moving along in election season and all the dynamics that that we will be hearing about. Uh, don't believe half of what you hear, right? Because it's probably not going to be true. But there are these dynamics that that give us this sense of pressure in our souls, right? Adversity. When you get hit in the teeth, what do you do? Punch back. Yeah, Gary says punch back. Uh, so the book of Revelation is asking that question. Because... What happens, adversity, whatever form, it has this power to begin to skew your perspective. That you don't, you don't see the world and see the situations as they really are, but you start to see them through the lens of your pain. And it creates a problem. So one of the big purposes of the book of Revelation, remember, it's not a map of the end times. But it is to give us a clear and godly perspective on what is going on in our lives, what is going on in our world. Because the, the temptation is, is to jump in league and hit somebody back in the mouth when Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Well, where does the power and strength come from to turn the other cheek? The book of Revelation teaches us that. Um, there is an important word, and you've heard this word because it's like pre-trib, post-trib, tribulation. That word in, in, uh, and we'll, we'll, I'll show you this in just a second. That word is flipsis. It's kind of hard to say, but it's fun to say. Flipsis. That word is tribulation or a better word for us these days is suffering. So, tribulation is a reality. Suffering is a reality. The, the the temptation is to want to fight it and to fight fire with fire. That is not the way of the kingdom of God. We fight fire with the values of the kingdom. So Psalm 37, today's the 37th day of the year. Seems like it should be about the 100th day of the year, right? But... Psalm 37. I want you to just listen. I'm not going to, it's really, it's a long psalm. I'm not going to go through it all. But as we pray through this this morning, just kind of keep that little conversation that we just had, um, in the, on one side of your brain and see what the psalmist is saying relative to evil things and evil people. Let's pray. Do not fret. Because of those who are evil. 
or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither, and like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed. But those who hope in the Lord will inherit the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Let me get this uh, pulled up here. All right. We are, Pastor Kurt says he got to about verse 16 of chapter 1 last week. Is that about right? Kind of hard when we kind of get hung right in the middle of a, of a thought, but we will pick up there and, and, uh, man, we're making some progress. Right? That'll end. What was that, Kurt? That'll end. That will end. (laughs) Maybe not. Maybe not. Well, before we pick up in verse uh, 16, just go back. Uh, real quick, just like Kurt said, it will end. Uh, a couple things I want to point out um, that this whole section here, beginning in verse nine, you, got, you can't you can't escape the context, right? And so, I, John, your brother and companion, and there it is, flipsis, suffering. Does anybody have tribulation in their translation, or is it all suffering? So we do have some tribulation, so I'm not making it up, right? That's a, that's a way that gets uh, translated. And, you know, later in the book, there's this thing that comes up about the great tribulation. Everybody goes, dun, 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 right? We're going to bring some clarity to that when we get to it as well. But listen to this. So, John, and Pastor Kurt and I both believe that this is the Apostle John, uh, your brother. So this person is, he is speaking as someone who is in familial relationship with these people who are going to be receiving this vision. Brother and companion, so we're together in the suffering all right. This is a suffering group of people, of people that are regularly facing adversity. Suffering, the kingdom, what does it mean for us to be part of a kingdom? Ah, one thing it means is we have a king. And patient endurance. So, like here, this, this sentence here, this reality of suffering and patient endurance coming together, that that's one of the ways that we respond and we have a heavenly perspective on our suffering. Is that in one degree or another, we endure it patiently. That's why Psalm 37, I think, is so helpful. 
Uh, just happened to fall on today, right? But it's so good because uh, we're tempted, right? To say, ah, to heck with it. This is not real. I'm going to make it my own way. All right. So kind of hold that there. And then, um, so John is uh, about ready to receive this vision. So he hears this voice behind him. Pastor Kurt talked about this last week. Behind him. And so if you hear a voice behind you, what do you do? Or do you run like hell? Right? That's right. Now, this voice, it is the voice that sounds like what? Trumpet. Now, I'm sure Pastor Kurt talked to you about this. That is how the Israelites heard God's voice on Mount Sinai. And what did they say? Moses, we can't. No, you go up. We're out of here. We can't do this. So this is the intensity through which John heard God's voice. John has a choice. You run like hell? Or do you turn around? John turns around. And in some ways this is our invitation too. Uh, Book of Revelation is hard. And that's why it's occurred it's going to take us a lot of time. It's hard. And it will confront us in ways that we did not realize we needed to be confronted. Because the temptation that we have to just go along with the values of the culture are very, very strong. Because we want to please people. We want to please our... And so, we've got to turn around. We've got to turn around and experience this in which John is experiencing. All right. Let's keep going. All right. So he is having this vision of the risen Christ. And he is seeing Christ in these expanded... uh, visionary ways that are seeking to communicate to John the reality of who Christ is for them in that moment. And Pastor Kurtz already unpacked several of these various dynamics, these various attributes. That's even a, that's a better word. These various attributes of Jesus. He's got a seven. He's got a... Uh, well, you got to know where he is. He's among these seven golden lampstands. Uh, he's dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet. Um, and he has a golden sash around his chest. Pastor Kurt, unpacked those images for you last week. Okay, all that's good. Priestly imagery. You know, this is Jesus as high priest. Because we are what? Earlier in the book. If Jesus is our high priest, who are we? Morning, everyone. Grace and peace. Good to see everybody today. Looking forward to our uh, Bible study uh, this morning. Hope everybody's wide awake. Uh, looking forward to our time together for sure. I want to ask you a question before we pray through our psalm. Because um, it's really a question that the book of Revelation is constantly asking. When you face adversity, 
Like adversity could come in many different forms. Adversity could come from coworkers, from your boss. Adversity could come from your family that they are not expectat they don't they don't perceive expectations being met, and so there's adversity from family. Uh, there's adversity from the government, right? You know. Especially as we are moving uh, toward or moving along in election season and all the dynamics that that we will be hearing about, uh, don't believe half of what you hear, right? Because it's probably not going to be true. But there are these dynamics that that give us this sense of pressure in our souls, right? Adversity. When you get hit in the teeth, what do you do? Punch back. Yeah, Gary says punch back. Uh, so the book of Revelation is asking that question. Because what happens, adversity, whatever form, it has this power to begin to skew your perspective. That you don't, you don't see the world and see the situations as they really are, but you start to see them through the lens of your pain. And it creates a problem. So one of the big purposes of the book of Revelation, remember, it's not a map of the end times. But it is to give us a clear and godly perspective on what is going on in our lives, what is going on in our world. Because the the temptation is, is to jump in league and hit somebody back in the mouth. When Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Well, where does the power and strength come from to turn the other cheek? The book of Revelation teaches us that. Um, there is an important word, and you've heard this word because it's like pre-trib, post-trib, tribulation. That word in, in, uh, and we'll, we'll, I'll show you this in just a second. That word is flipsis. It's kind of hard to say, but it's fun to say. Flipsis. That word is tribulation or a better word for us these days is suffering. So, tribulation is a reality. Suffering is a reality. The, the, the temptation is to want to fight it and to fight fire with fire. That is not the way of the kingdom of God. We fight fire with the values of the kingdom. So Psalm 37, today's the 37th day of the year. Seems like it should be about the 100th day of the year, right? But Psalm 37, I want you to just listen. I'm not going to, it's really, it's a long psalm. I'm not going to go through it all. But as we pray through this this morning, just kind of keep that little conversation that we just had um, in the on one side of your brain and see what the psalmist is saying relative to evil things and evil people. Let's pray. Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither, and like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this.
He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn. Your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Well, let me get this uh, pulled up here. All right. We are, Pastor Kurt says he got to about verse 16 of chapter 1 last week. Is that about right? Kind of hard when we kind of get hung right in the middle of a, of a thought, but we will pick up there and, and uh, man, we're making some progress. Right? That'll end. What was that, Kurt? That'll end. That will end. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe not. Well, before we pick up in verse uh, 16, just go back uh, real quick. Just like Kurt said, it will end. Uh, a couple things I want to point out. Um, that this whole section here, beginning in verse 9, you, got, you, can't, you can't escape the context, right? And so... I, John, your brother and companion, and there it is, flipsis, suffering. Does anybody have tribulation in their translation, or is it all suffering? So we do have some tribulation, so I'm not making it up, right? That's a, that's a way that gets uh, translated. And, you know, later in the book, there's this thing that comes up about the great tribulation. Everybody goes, dun, 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 right? We're going to bring some clarity to that when we get to it as well. But listen to this. So John and Pastor Kurt and I both believe that this is the Apostle John. Uh, your brother. So this person is, he is speaking as someone who is in familial relationship with these people who are going to be receiving this vision. Brother and companion. So we're together in... The suffering. Alright, this is a suffering group of people. Of people that are regularly facing adversity. Suffering? The kingdom? What does it mean for us to be part of a kingdom? Ah, one thing it means is we have a king. And patient endurance. So, like here, this, this sentence here, this reality of suffering and patient endurance coming together, that that's one of the ways that we respond and we have a heavenly perspective on our suffering. Is that in one degree or another, we endure it patiently. That's why Psalm 37, I think, is so helpful. Uh, just happened to fall on today, right? But it's so good because uh, we're tempted, right, to say, "Ah, to heck with it! This is not real. I'm going to make it my own way." All right. So, kind of hold that there, and then um, so John is uh, about ready to receive this vision. So he hears this voice behind him. Pastor Kurt talked about this last week. Behind him? And so if you hear a voice behind you, what do you do? 
Or do you run like hell? Right? That's right. Now, this voice, it is the voice that sounds like what? Trumpet. Now, I'm sure Pastor Kurt talked to you about this. That is how the Israelites heard God's voice on Mount Sinai. And what did they say? Moses, we can't. No, you go up. We're out of here. We can't do this. So this is the intensity through which John heard God's voice. John has a choice. You run like hell, or do you turn around? John turns around. And in some ways, this is our invitation to. Book of Revelation is hard. And that's why it's occurred it's going to take us a lot of time. It's hard. And it will confront us in ways that we did not realize we needed to be confronted. Because the temptation that we have to just go along with the values of the culture are very, very strong. Because we want to please people. We want to please our... And so, we've got to turn around. We've got to turn around and experience this in which John is experiencing. All right, let's keep going. All right, so he is having this vision of the risen Christ. And he is seeing Christ in these expanded... uh, visionary ways that are seeking to communicate to John the reality of who Christ is for them in that moment. And Pastor Kurtz already unpacked several of these various dynamics, these various attributes. That's even a, that's a better word. These various attributes of Jesus. He's got a seven. He's got a... Uh, well, you gotta know where he is. He's among these seven golden lampstands. Uh, he's dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet. Um, and he has a golden sash around his chest. Pastor Kurt unpacked those images for you last week. Okay. All that's good. Priestly imagery. You know, this is Jesus as high priest. Cause we are what? Earlier in the book. If Jesus is our high priest, who are we? We are a kingdom of priests. Remember? What verse is that? Uh, verse 6. Chapter 1, verse 6. Okay. So let's go on down to verse 16. Uh, 16, that's where we picked it up, right? In his right hand... He held seven stars. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. And so one of the things that John is doing here, I mean, this is just, he is just like rapid firing off these attributes. And so just in that short uh, passage there, there's three attributes that you see, right? So he's got stars in his Right hand. So right hand 
biblically speaking, is very, very important. For whatever reason, God's not left-handed. That's kind of funny, right? But one of the ways that God expresses the release of his power, where his power is located, when God is active in the world, which is all the time, he does it through his right hand. And so the seven stars that are in his right hand indicate in some way that way in which God is powerfully active and present in the world. Now later, uh, at the end of the section here, he's very clear. One of the things that we appreciate about John is he's going to expect us to know what certain images are, like the whole feet of burnished bronze. You should have that, right? Not us, but the first century Jewish people would have it. People who know the book of Daniel, that's Daniel chapter 10. They've got that. But the seven stars, huh, what is that? Well, at the end, if you scroll on down to the end, uh, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Uh, this is in verse 20. Seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. That seems a little bit weird. When we go outside and we look up at the stars, what do we think we see? What's that? Countless stars. But what is like? What is a star? Light. Come on, keep going. Who said ball of gas? Exactly, ball of gas. That's what they are, right? They're balls of gas. But the ancient world did not see stars that way. When the ancients looked up, ancient Jewish people particularly, when they looked up at stars, they saw heavenly beings. That they were angels. They were messengers. There were principalities and powers behind every one of those stars. It's a little weird, isn't it? Is it a ball of gas? Or is it some sort of spiritual being? Well, it's a ball of gas. But what it represented to them was it was this angelic spiritual being. So he he has in his hand, yes, seven, but also seven means complete or whole. So he's got all, all of the messengers in his hand, in his right hand, and he is using them to go and to deliver his word to these churches. We're talking about seven churches. We're going to get into that in chapter two, right? Uh, but that's what these, these stars, uh, represent. But the, but the, just notice in the right hand, he does something else. Like one of the things that we get caught up with in, in visionary experiences that John is having is, like, he has seven stars in his right hand. But then he also touches John with his right hand. How did that feel? How, how when you get touched by a right hand that also has seven stars in it, how does that feel? You see, you have to kind of use your imagination a little bit. Um, anybody prolific dreamer in the room? I feel like I, like the other night, 
uh, Sunday, or Saturday was Elena and I's 28th wedding anniversary. Uh, it, it's like, wow, how can that even be? Um, but one of the things that we did the next day is I pulled out two of our photo albums. We got a bunch of photo albums and I pulled a couple of them out and going through and looking at uh, photos from the day before our wedding and and um, just some people that I saw. Well, that night I had a dream that I was roommates with two of those people, Creighton and John Anna. <laughs> this is really weird, right? And like I, so when you wake up, you know why you had the dream because you were looking at those pictures, right? But it's like all of a sudden you're, you're having this dream that you are roommates with these people, but then you're having conversations as if Elena's present and she's there and we're not roommates. You know how it can just morph in our dreams? It just morphs. Just like that. I guess it's just our brain firing things off, trying to us, us offload things. I'm not sure. But that also is the way kind of you can look at these visionary experiences. Yeah, Jesus has the seven stars in his right hand. This powerful exhibition of his voice and his presence in the world through his messengers. He's executing it. But that same right hand, it's almost as if he puts the stars down. And he puts his hand on John's shoulder. It says, don't be afraid. Like what you are about to hear, like in the seven, these next two chapters as we get to them, it could bring some fear. But Jesus is saying, above all, what you hear from me is I bring the truth. Pastor Kurt worked on that with you last week. The Alpha and the Omega is I bring the truth to bear on your situation. Don't be afraid. All right. Questions, comments on the seven stars. All right. Question. I'm surprised in John's writing he doesn't. Most of these are, are fulfillments of Old Testament prophecies. Well, it's, 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 he's using he's using uh, very common, understandable images from the Old Testament to make sense of what he's seeing. Yes, does that help? Yes. Okay. All right. And then he's got out coming out of his mouth was a sharp, uh, double-edged uh, sword. Um, I'm curious if you are confronted with two people, one with a sword in his hand or one with a sword coming out of his mouth, who would you prefer to throw down with? Neither. <laughs> Yeah, is there a third option? Right. Uh, Certainly, um, a sword coming out of somebody's hand is intended to do what? To kill you. Right. And the the sword, the word of God that comes out of Jesus' mouth, it is intended to bring life. So if... Pastor Kurt is right that when you talk about Alpha and Omega, that that this is the truth. This is the truth in the midst of all of the traumatic things that are going on. 
all of the adversity that the word of God that comes out of the mouth of Christ. It is a life-giving thing. Doesn't mean it won't hurt. Doesn't mean it won't be something that as we embrace the truth, it won't be costly. But it will give you life. This is a uh, image that's picked up uh, in Paul picks it up uh, whenever he talks about in, in the book of Ephesians um, when he talks about the uh, the arm put on the full armor of God that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God right and then in the book of Hebrews uh, say again oh I thought somebody asked a question. No? Okay. So the book of Hebrews, let's turn over to there. Uh, golly, I thought I had it, had it written down. Let's see. I bet it's here. Yeah, Hebrews 4.12. Take a look at that. For, this is in the uh, English Standard Version. For the Word of God is living, living. Not to bring death, but it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The word of God, I love that that one phrase, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Motivations that we have. Uh, so just think about our whenever we find ourselves in places of adversity. What is our primary motivation most of the time? Help and what? Self. I'm sorry. Self motivation. Okay. Self. You know, don't you all appreciate his honesty? Right. Self motivation for what? To improve ourselves. To, okay. Let me try to say it another way. Make it stop. Just make the adversity stop. Just give us some space here, right? Give me some space here so I can breathe. Just make it stop, whatever the adversity is. Well, then we make choices to try to make it stop. And what if the choices that we make actually are not in line then with the kingdom of God? We just want to stop. That's our primary motivation. That's going to be where we land. And we're going to make some bad choices. The Word of God helps us to discern what is not only good, better, but what is best. All right. Questions on the double-edged sword. Yeah, that's human tongues, right? And so the sword of, comes out of Jesus' mouth. Regardless of our circumstances, this is a life-giving instrument, right? And so 
it should be embraced and accepted and not not us not choose a scheme of our own making to get up get, to get it to stop the adversity to stop all right last section there his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance this is just a classic statement of the character of god all throughout the old testament this is a a way that god god is painted uh he he is bright. He is shiny. Uh, he's brilliant. It's like ah, can't see. So if you haven't figured it out yet, that the risen Christ and God are deeply, deeply associated. Right? We talk, talk about the Trinity: Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, whenever uh, John is seeing what he is seeing, he is seeing God. Is it fair to say the sun is always shining brilliantly? Of course. There may be clouds obscuring it, but it's always shining brilliantly. Yep. And we may be on the other side of it. Yeah. God's sunshine in our life, it's us, not Him. Say that again? If we're not seeing God's brilliance in our life, it's us. That's right. It's us and not God. That's good. Very good point, Kurt. All right. So when you are in the presence of God, when you're in the presence of utter awesomeness, when you're hearing this voice that caused other people to say, Moses, you go up, what do you do? Just like John. When I saw him, remember, he had the choice. He turned around and he saw him. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. That's what they believed. If you see God, you don't make it. That God's holiness is 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 such a, a, a magnitude that you can't survive it. Here's the right hand again. That he placed his right hand on me. The thing that was carrying the message to the churches. Carrying the message to us. Same hand. Don't be afraid. So then he picks up on what Pastor Kurt unpacked for y'all last week. Last Earlier in the, in the chapter, it's Alpha and Omega here. I am the first and the last. So relative to our suffering, relative to the challenges and difficulties that we face in our lives, huh, Jesus is presented here as the truth. Now, there's a couple there's a couple of ways that we can think about truth. All right. Truth is, all right, this is the way it is. And then there is truth. This is the way it is, and I'm going to trust it. Another way to say it is I'm going to allow the truth, God, to be God in my life on God's terms truth in some ways we can say oh it's the truth that God is always with us we believe this right that God is always present with us and we'll see another image of that in just a second God is always with us it's another thing to order and arrange your life and to make choices ah God is always with us and that that's what these people in the first century are wrestling with it's what we should be wrestling with 
Uh, yeah, times are different. Uh, things uh, may be easier for us to live out our faith uh, in in Midland. But at the same time, because of how wicked the evil is in our world, we may become blinded by the ways in which we capitulate to get the relief we want. So you got to be careful. I am the living one. dead. Wait a second. What do you mean? Living one, dead. Now look! I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. All of verse 18 you need to highlight. This is the thesis statement of the book of Revelation. This is it. The reality is, as the the Christian community that John is addressing then, and that John is addressing now, it is a community that is getting hit in the teeth. Okay, so what is the narrative, what is the story that needs to be the leading story in our minds and in our hearts to help us overcome Remember, when we get into chapters two and three, that's going to, this, this main theme that is in the book of Revelation, the theme of Nike. Yeah, the shoes. Remember, what is that, what is Nike? Y'all know? What's that? Victory. Victory. It's a Greek god, right? But it's also this word, it's, it's also this Greek word that is translated victory or overcome. So, there, there's a song. Remember, the book of Revelation has more singing in it than any other book in the Bible, with the exception of the Psalms, right? And uh, there's what part of one of the songs? We shall overcome by the blood of the Lamb, the word of His testimony, right? And so that's what, so this is the thesis statement. That because Christ has died and risen, we are also caught up through faith into that same death and resurrection. One of the things that we as Christians miss is that we miss the death part. We love to skip ahead to the, uh, to the resurrection part. <clears throat> but the reality is that we as followers of Jesus have many deaths to die. That we die to ourselves, Brent, right? Because the self tempts us to take matters into our own hands. But this is the truth. He has suffered death and resurrection on our behalf. And, so that's the first part of it. And, so, in his hands, he holds the keys of death in Hades. Anybody have hell there? Or is it all Hades? What's that? The grave. All right. Interesting. Interesting. Because, like, in our minds as we're wrestling with adversity, uh, where we wrestle with the realities of of war and death and suffering and all these things, a question that invariably 
comes up is, man, God, you just letting this happen? Right? What's the deal? It really stinks. If you're good, God, why in the world would you let this happen? It's a question you get asked all the time. And if this is going to mean by reality anyway, I'm just going to survive as long as I can. So to heck with your values, God. I'm going to go with whatever it takes for me to survive and live the longest. That kind of thing. But whoa, whoa, whoa. Remember, adversity clouds our perspective. Jesus is trying to clear our perspective. And the reality is, is through his death and resurrection, hell has been utterly dismantled. Now, hell and the devil, so this is like, you need to circle this and just put, see chapter 13. Well, chapter 12 and 13. So chapter 12 and 13, we get introduced to these uh, three, four characters. The dragon, that's Satan. The beast, and the false prophet. 